a lot of people want change. They don't want plastic everywhere and they don't want all of this, but they don't have a choice because there's no system in place to help them away from that. So before we started this non-profit, we actually asked as many people as we could, what do you think about plastics? Do you like plastics there? Do you think they're dirty? Are they nice to look at? And it was an overwhelming majority of people that said yes. If there was something in place to get rid of it, we would be for it. Welcome to Mindful Businesses, presented by Sarani, and I'm your host, Padia Ayer. In our podcast, we bring to you brands which are mindful in their practices and processes. A mindful business adopts and employs sustainable social, economic, and environmental practices. Today, we have with us George Burkhorn, founder of the nonprofit Clean and Proud, creating sustainable fashion from plastic waste. He joins us from Malawi, East Africa. Welcome, George. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's, uh, it's a great opportunity for us and thank you. So you must be aware that plastic was invented as a sustainable alternative to the dependence on nature and natural products. So the person who invented it, he thought he was doing something good. Now we've come a full circle and plastic is causing a lot of problems. Why have plastics and plastic waste become such a bane? So the issue with plastics, particularly single-use plastics, I don't think anyone's denying they're a wonder material. They can be incredibly good for the environment in the sense of reducing weight for transport, for being um, pliable for virtually any use you can think of. But the big caveat comes with the human behavior towards plastic and the way we have come beyond reuse and we're in a throwaway culture that is habit and it's a discard and chuck away culture often the, rather than recycling because the process is actually quite expensive multinational companies will opt to go for virgin plastic new because it is cheaper to produce than actually recycling what has been supposedly discarded and therein lies one of the problems is the costing how many tons of plastic is not recycled every year worldwide and how much is created and how much do you think is not recycled or how much is recycled what percent i guess it, it comes down to uh, manufacture of plastic virgin plastics so you've got the recycled plastic that's then discarded after its second third fourth fifth use and numbers are astronomical. I believe it's around hundreds of millions of tons every year. So far since, since the creation of plastic, it's over 8,000 million tons of plastic being created. I mean, this is, these are volumes that my mind particularly cannot fathom. I mean, the, the volume of plastic being consumed and discarded on a daily basis is mind-blowing. Um, we've created enough plastic to wrap the world three times over. And it's not, often the issues aren't necessarily visual. Like for example, particularly in Malawi, it might be that it blocks the drainage ditch, which causes pooling of water, which might have a secondary effect of creating habitat for mosquitoes, which are obviously vectors of malaria, increasing in urban environments the cases of malaria. Something you would think of immediately as plastic waste leading to that that effect could be the breakdown of the plastic in the environment that causes um, accumulation of toxic compounds to stick to those small pieces of plastic and then they're ingested by a fish 
which ends up, those toxins accumulate in that fish, which then goes onto your plate. I mean, there's so many impacts. There's the visual, that's very obvious, but there's also the secondary effects and effects you don't really think about that have massively impacting negative impacts when it's scaled up on this mass scale. So you're based in Malawi. Did you grow up there? How did you end up in Malawi? I studied conservation ecology and moved out to Africa to work in conservation. And having worked in, on the continent for probably five years, I worked quite a bit in Malawi itself. Absolutely loved the place, fell in love with it. Um, it has a, a very warm feel. Everyone is super friendly. But the one thing that stuck out in my mind was just the obscene volumes of plastic everywhere. And the reason it's so visual is because in the back home in England, that's why I was brought up in England, in America, in other places, you have bins that are public, that bins that people can go and put their trash in or their waste. You have a door-to-door collection service where the dustbin man will empty your rubbish and pick up two, three bags of rubbish a week. You have a government system with a structure in place to deal with waste issues, whereas in Malawi, it's one of the poorest countries in the world. It doesn't have such a system. So people are left with very few options other than chucking it on the side of the road, chucking it on the pavement, wherever they may be, or at the household, maybe it's the most common waste disposal is actually digging a hole, burning the plastic wastes, and burying it in the ground, which is also used to grow subsistence crops to eat. So they do this with all kinds of plastic because in India, there is a secondary market to some of the heavier plastics, you know, the ones in the milk pouches or your oil cans, which are more conducive to recycling. There is no such system in Malawi. There's the PET plastic bottles and there's no real recycling. I mean, old oil bottles, you do have the odd person in Mizuzu where we are based, that happens in a long way, and the big cities, where individuals will go and pick up the PET plastic bottles, uh, rinse them out in the river rainwater, and then resell them back to the refill stations that fill up with oil again. But they have a certain life period of doing it that way. There's no remolding the plastic, so actually properly recycling it into a new product as such. It's more of a second, third use, which is great. And this is, should be advocated. This is great that people do it. But there is a call out for a wider range of plastics to be recycled. And we recycle only single-use plastics, the bags, the rice sacks, the, as you said, the milk bags, all plastic bags, and the, the, the um, polyethylene plastics. So what's your background? You talked about you were in ecology and conservation. How did you think about starting Clean and Proud, the nonprofit? I was working in game reserves and national reserves in Malawi, and uh, this I've been working there for a few years. And the blatantness, the obviousness of the plastic waste issue used to hit every time we'd go for a food run or we'd go to town or villages nearby, even driving through the villages, there's just plastic everywhere. And um, it used to break my heart a bit. You know, you're like, well, how can that not spoil someone's, you know, the people who live there, their opinion of, of the whole area? How can that not upset them slightly? But then they don't have another option. There's no option. So and the main reason that I wanted to, and Beatrice, my, my partner, wanted to set this up clean and proud, was to give people 
an option to deal with their waste because there isn't there weren't public bins there wasn't a um, household collection uh, system in place and therefore the the waste issue would never have been will never be dealt with unless there is another option for people to take and then obviously it needs to be combined with various other strategies such as awareness incentivization etc um, but it's mainly to give people another option because we're so lucky in the West where we don't even think about it. You know, the guy comes in every week and on a Wednesday and picks up all your rubbish. You, don't, you just put it there and it gets, disappears the next day. It's wonderful. But um, yeah, it's, it's something trying, the aim really is to try and give people here an option to deal with their waste. How much plastic is generated in Malawi and what percent of that you and maybe similar nonprofits or for-profit companies are able to collect to be recycled or reused? Official statistics of plastics in Malawi and plastic creation, imports, um, production, I think there is, as far as, because we've been researching this and trying to find the answers out, but I, as far as we can find, there is no definitive number of plastics in Malawi. The biggest way of assessing it is the, because there's no waste management, you just see the piles and how quickly those piles fill up. It's a huge, I mean, in Mazizi City alone, they actually, the municipal went on strike and the piles in the city got, over the course of four days, I think it was, got to the size of, you know, you're looking at a couple of houses, that's within four days. That's just one out of probably 30, 40 piles that start building up in and around the area. But in terms of statistics and numbers, it's it's been very difficult to find specific statistics operation that we run is very very small and it's growing but it's very very small last year we recycled approximately about six to seven hundred kg so it wasn't even quite a ton and this next year coming we've we're aiming to do one and a half tons and then hopefully start progressing on a much bigger scale in terms of its impact on reducing the plastic waste that is accumulated it's just scratching the surface so 600 kgs give me a visual it would be like how many truckloads because you know you're talking about plastic which is very very light and single use plastic so it is probably about 10 truckloads it's probably about five truckloads the way that we deal with it the way we collect is by hand so Another reason that we opted to do this, firstly, is to buy a vehicle out here is hugely expensive. Um, so we don't actually have the, the funding capital to be able to do that currently. But secondly, the unemployment rates in Mizuzu City itself, has, in some areas, are over 60%. So it's very unskilled labor, and we are trying to employ as many people to go and do this as possible, because it's not, very, it's not a particularly skilled job. And as a result, we employ, currently, it's, it's gone up from three to now four ladies that, that go out and collect um, waste. And hopefully, the more success we have in selling the products we make, the more capital we'll get to invest back in and employ more people to go and do the same. This next current year, if we're, if we're successful in the summer, we're selling um, throughout Europe, we will be investing in actually bicycles with trailers who will go and do rounds picking up all over the city, which will have a big impact in terms of increasing the capacity. We're aiming really to opt to employ as many people as possible rather than mechanizing it as much as possible. We're trying to employ as many people in the COG to make it work. So how did you get funding 
to start this project? Yeah, people think we're mad. We, we actually, my partner and I invested basically everything we had in it to begin with. And that was the initial cost startup. And it's now we have a team that's fully trained. We have a team, particularly of tailors, that are incredibly talented that are producing products of a very high standard to be able to sell it in Europe. Now the initial investment's been put in. We're now looking to increase sales throughout Europe the products can be sold at a cost that will cover the high cost of production. Um, sadly, in Malawi itself, as I've mentioned, it's one of the poorest countries in the world. So you don't have a very big market for selling things like tote bags and wash bags and things like that at the price they're needed to be to cover the cost. Uh, whereas in Europe, it's a much friendlier market towards that kind of a product where people are more likely to buy something like that. And as the next six months are critical in terms of reaching the foreign markets, and if we can increase the number of sales we get abroad, we will be able to invest more in the actual process and increase the staffing, increase the impact that we will have, increase the volume of plastic waste we can recycle. You collect the plastic. What do you do to the plastic for it to be ready as a raw material to make these products? The process, we've got a team of ladies that go and collect the plastic and bring it back to the workshop and we wash it. Once it's washed, it's then dried, heat pressed with iron to form a particular way, to form a particular type of material, a sheet material that's constituted of plastic. Each sheet is probably 100 bags, roughly. That material is then used by the tailors to and mixed with other materials such as um, the local patterns, cotton to chenji. Upcycled materials, we use upcycled old curtains that are falling to pieces. We've got offguts and things like that that are used that we collect from other tailors and try and upcycle where possible. But obviously, if we need to use new materials like the cotton and tenjis we get from the market locally, and those are all added together to form the, the end products. So, do you have a patent on this technology or? Um, there's no patent on it, but we have been uh, working quite hard to get It's taken two years to get the process, the heat compression process, uh, by hand. It's taken a very long time to get the finish to the level it is now. And the quality of that finish, it means it's very light, but incredibly durable. And it actually has a very um, smooth finish, a very nice finish. Almost like, I mean, we've had people compare it to, oh, what was it? I think it was something like coconut leather or these new, I guess they're vegan forms of leather that are quite similar, a very smooth um, finish on the plastics. Clean and Proud impacts the local communities in various ways. One, you collect, reduce waste, reduce and recycle the plastic, employ local women to help pick it up, and you make them into products which you can sell to fund your nonprofit what else do you do? If there's going to be proper change, and um, as I said at the beginning, I, I believe that one of the biggest problems plastic has created because of human behavior, and particularly Malawi, where all the previous materials would have been organic, banana leaves and things like that as packaging. Now it's been replaced with plastic. So what previous chucking it on the side of the street wasn't a problem. Now you've got this synthetic material that does not biodegrade and it just accumulates. So it's become a big issue. And education awareness is one of the key aspects and drivers of change. We run outreach awareness 
projects that are a side-funded thing. It's funded through donations and sales. We go to local schools and communities and um, teach them about the impacts that it can have on the community, how burning it every day to light the cooker which is a regular occurrence here, can lead and inhaling it three times a day for mothers with babies on their backs often, indoors often as well. Just burning those plastics has carcinogenic effects. It can cause uh, health problems. Uh, we teach them about how blocking of drainage ways, plastics, because it's impermeable to water, can pull water and then create conditions for mosquitoes and malaria. Um, and we also should tell them and show them how plastics can last a lifetime and generations so the thing they discard on the side of the road won't disappear it might blow away in the wind but it'll still be there for their kids and their grandkids potentially and their great-grandkids potentially to see and it's trying to get people here aware of the negative impacts that it can have on society their own localized society but the society on a bigger scale malawi is a country that has tourism as a gdp um, earner and obviously a clean country seems to will be more of an attractive country than a dirty country so there's lots of different aspects that we go into in terms of trying to get people aware and people seeing the negatives of plastics and how that casually discarding them can have some serious consequences on their own lives their own communities and even bigger than that their own country and so that's one aspect is awareness how receptive are they you know it's easy for you to say don't burn plastic when you need to cook a meal uh, but what is the alternate source of fuel for them that's they don't use the plastic to necessarily cook on they use it to light the charcoal they use it to steam the cassava they use it to steam the rice that as a lid over the top of the rice and cook the rice um so there are multiple other things you can use to do that wood chippings there's all kinds of little branches and twigs this is just to light the coals for their cookers uh, they will often use plastic because it is so widely there it's all over the place and it's very quick and it burns and it creates a lot of heat but there are so many other materials that can be used that don't have the same effects particularly with cooking of things like rice there's no need to cook rice with plastic on the top it has health consequences and their receptiveness is a lot of people want change they don't want plastic everywhere and they don't want all of this but they don't have a choice because there's no system in place to help them away from that so before we started this non-profit we actually asked as many people as we could what do you think about plastics do you like plastics there do you think they're dirty do, are they nice to look at and it was an overwhelming majority of people that said yes if there was something in place to get rid of it we would be for it we don't want to pay for it <laughs> we want because i mean obviously at the end of the day people in malawi are looking to get food on the table as opposed to plastic everywhere they're more concerned about getting food on the table if there was a free system in place to get rid of it they were all all the people we interviewed for it all for that uh, talking about some other impacts that a clean and proud has on the communities yes so there's another incentivization is another very effective changer of behavior um this is something to which we'll be starting this year from our sales over christmas we've got enough to be able to put this into place but it's um actually having paying collection stations around the city where once a week or however much finance we're able to put aside to 
put this in place. Hopefully, the, the more successful we are, the more often we can do it. But it will be a paying station per kilo for plastic waste for people who want to bring their particular plastics that we recycle to our collection station. And by doing that, you're actually encouraging people, whether it be at home, just keeping it at home, and they bring it in once a week, they get a little bit of extra cash, and it helps with whatever they want to put it towards. But the point is to try and get people to think, oh, that plastic bag I've got in my hand, that's not I'm not going to chuck that away, I'll put it in my pocket, and actually I'll put it with the rest of them that I've been collecting, and I'll take it at the end of the month or the end of the week, and I'll get 400 kwacha and that'll help me with my breakfast for the next five days or whatever it might be. But it's trying to get the mindset of value towards that plastic waste as opposed to it being something that's just discarded left, right and centre, wherever. Clean and Proud is registered as a non-profit. Why was that important? So for myself um, and Beatrice, we've always wanted to give something back. Um, We've always wanted to help with this issue that we feel very strongly about. And to be making money off it for ourselves seems we didn't want to do that in the first place. But we think it's incredibly important that it's a system that is self-growing and all the profit and revenue that is generated from sales, 100% of it goes back into making it bigger and having a bigger impact. If we started raking off you know, profit, then there would be a less of an impact that would be going into expansion, into outreach and awareness, into paying collection stations, into um, staff conditions, into uh, increased collection capacity. It would be, there's less potential for the growth if more is taken off for profit. So we've chosen specifically to do a non-profit where 100% hopefully we make lots from sales, but the more we make from sales means the more can go back into the project, which means it can expand and have a bigger impact, recycling a higher volume of plastic. Because currently we're, we're recycling plastic, we have a system in place that works, but we want to be doing a much higher volume and actually impacting that plastic, that, those piles of plastic waste, and even progressing towards recycling Um, different forms of plastic like PET that will need shredding machines and compression ovens and various technologies that have to be there to be able to recycle particular types of plastic. The future initiatives that you have, how do you plan to fundraise? We did a Christmas auction uh, recently that was very successful. We've done... (laughs) Yes, I saw that on the web. I'm like, oops, I missed that. It was uh, it was actually supposed to be in France for um, uh, September, October, November, December, and then it all went into secondary lockdown, and we were freaking out a little bit. So this is one of the substrategies we did was actually a, a Christmas auction to generate some donations and funding, which worked very well. And everyone was very generous. So if anyone's li- listening who who helped us, thank you so much. Yeah, the other fundraising. So we, we are um, using Google Ad Grants. We are, I've actually run a few athletic events, one of which was a, well, you had to do 21 kilometers in any way, shape or form you had. We had rowing, sailing, kiteboarding, uh, lots of other ways of doing it as well. And Beatrice and I are actually training to do boxing. And that's one of the next plans fundraising events is a charity boxing event we're going to enter and try and get ourselves um, out of the fight alive and unhurt (laughs) but hopefully with a bit of donation so we're doing various different things so where do you see clean and proud five years from today 
So five years from today, we've, it all obviously depends on the success of sales and donations and funding. But if we want to achieve, we will be recycling minimum of 10 tons up to, I mean, the sky is a limit here. There's so much waste. We want to be recycling PET plastic bottles. We want to have expanded the range of plastics we recycle. We would like to have sales and wholesale small-scale shops in a variety of different countries, preferably America, Europe, and Australia would be lovely, um, as well as developing an African market for the product as well. And we would like to have paying collection points across the whole of Malawi's major cities. Um, we would like to be uh, doing outreach awareness, a minimum of two per month, in schools and communities throughout the entire country of Malawi. We would like to, um, uh, one of the aims is to also have a company that has paid collection points across every major city. We also would prefer to, if we can get there, to have every major city have a clean and proud household collection system in place. Hopefully, and ideally, this would be a free service if funds would allow it, but obviously that's all dependable. And one of the major things that I want to do that I've got a, my, my eye on is um, doing more research into the plastic contamination of Lake Malawi, which supplies over 60% of the protein consumption by the country itself um, through fish. And we, we've seen from research that fish um, generally uptake uh, toxins and, and particularly microplastics into the system and therefore bioaccumulate it through that system. And then it ends up in food items, which would be, well, very interesting to research it and then come up with maybe some ideas and ways of mitigating that as much as possible. Thank you so much, George Berthon. Wishing you all the best and all the success. Thank you so much for coming on Mindful Businesses. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity and I wish everyone well. And please come and visit Malawi. It's a beautiful country. I have really, really friendly people. And if you're around, you can always pop into our workshop in Mizuzi. I can't wait for the lockdown to and this COVID to go away to start traveling. I think a lot of people are thinking the same thing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. If you're a creator of a mindful brand or would like to recommend a mindful brand to be featured on our show, send us a message on our Instagram or Facebook page or visit us at mindfulbusinessespodcast.com. Subscribe and listen to us on your favorite podcast listening app. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to rate and review us on Apple or Google Podcasts. If you learned a thing or two from this or our other episodes, please share it with one friend.